The Wings Over New Zealand show is brought to you in association with the Wings Over New Zealand Aviation Forum, New Zealand's number one aviation discussion forum online. There you'll find discussion on all aspects of New Zealand aviation, from history to current affairs and thousands of photos covering the Royal New Zealand Air Force, airlines, general aviation, warbird restorations, air show news, sport aviation, home building, gliding, aviation media and much, much more. You'll be in good company with other aviation enthusiasts, including pilots, engineers, warbird owners and restorers, historians and authors, modelers, aviation photographers and many others. Sign up to the Wings Over New Zealand community now. It's free and easy. Just Google Wings Over New Zealand and you'll find the forum. Hi, it's Matt Jolly from warbirdradio.com. Listen, I am thrilled to have Dave Homewood as part of our broadcast family and bring your stories, the stories of the RNZAF, heard right here on Wings Over New Zealand to our global audience. Thanks for listening. I hope to hear from you sometime at warbirdradio.com. G'day, I'm Steve Vischer. And I'm Grant McCarran. And we're from Plane Crazy Down Under, Australia's aviation show. And you can find us at planecrazydownunder.com. We reckon for the best coverage of the Kiwi warbird restoration and aviation scene, you can't go past Dave Homewood and the Wings Over New Zealand show. On you, Dave. Yeah, good on you, mate. Yeah, we've got to get to New Zealand soon. Where is that anyway? Well, it's where I grew up. I thought that was Brisbane. The Wings Over New Zealand show would like to acknowledge the great support it's had from Fly DC3. You can fly back in time with Fly DC3 from Ardmore Airport, charter the DC3 Dakota and fly into the past. It's an experience you'll never forget. Fly DC3. Go to www.flydc3.co.nz. Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood. Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show. I'm your host, Dave Homewood. This is episode 3 in the Les Marshall story, the third episode of 3. As well as a top dressing pilot, Les has also dabbled into the world of classic aircraft. We carry on the story with Les talking about owning his Ryan PT-22. Tell me about your Ryan. When did you come by? It's for sale. Would you like to buy it? (laughs) I knew that, I knew that, but... When did you come by it, and, and, and tell me the story? Um, yeah, well, it's a neat little aeroplane. It, it, it's one of those one of those silly things, you know. As I said earlier, I've been kid on aeroplanes all my life. And uh, <clears throat> right back to where we used to, used to watch the war movies, go down to the local picture theatre and watch these war movies. And uh, I guess I saw one of these things in one of those early films as a training aeroplane and then over the years you know when I've seen pictures of them they're, they're an aeroplane that's always appealed to me yep. you know I'd, I've sort of got a bit of a bit of a passion for for round oily engines radial engines and here was this he's this little aeroplane that's got a radial engine open hauler um, tail wheel at the right end, you know, a tail drag, it just, it just looks a character aeroplane. 
And it's one of those things that just always appealed to me. It's a, it's a neat looking little aeroplane. And uh, I went to the uh, big Oshkosh air show in um, in Minnesota. Um, I think it's Minnesota, isn't it? Yeah. Um, when did I go there? 94. That's right. And there was a lot of aeroplanes. I hadn't been there before. And there was a lot of aeroplanes, of course, at this place that I'd only seen pictures of. I hadn't seen one in the flesh before. And here was a couple of these little Ryan PD-22s here. I'd only ever seen pictures of them before. So I walked around these two aeroplanes and um, oohed and ahed and took pictures and, and then carried on. <clears throat> and I'd been home a couple of weeks and I read in, a, in, a, uh, in an American what do they call it? it? Was a trader plane magazine or anything that's for sale in the aviation world in the states is put in this thing. Yep. And just as a little bit of a habit of mine, I when I browse through these things periodically, I'd always look in the vintage aircraft columns to see if there's any rhymes for sale. Yep. And there never ever was. <clears throat> And I had no real intention of doing anything about it anyway, but it was just a curiosity thing. Anyway, this particular weekend, yeah, I'd been home a couple of three weeks. It was a wet afternoon, a wet Saturday, Saturday afternoon it was. And I'd, I'd picked up the, um, the trader plane from somewhere on the Friday, so I was having a browse through this and I'd pulled my old trick by going to the vintage aircraft page and having a look down and sure enough he was around PD-22 for sale. Right. So I read the ad and I thought it was one of those that I've just seen at Oscosh. It was said as seen at Oscosh, you know. Oh, right. So I mentioned to the wife, I said, hey, there's a Ryan for sale here and this is one I've got photos of it. That's what I saw a couple of weeks ago. Yep. And my wife said, ring the man. No. No, no. Go on, ring him. No. I don't think you should do that. Well, if you don't, I will. No, no, don't you do it. You'll stuff it up. <laughs> so I went across to the phone and just rang the number. Didn't know where the number was, where it was going, you know, uh, the area. Yeah. Or what time of the day it would be there. And a guy answered it. And I said, You're advertising a Ryan PD-22 for sale. Well, he said, It's not me, but he said, I'm looking at it right now. He said, We've done the, done the work on it and it's in, it's in the hangar here. He said, I'm answering the calls for the, for the owner. So we had a bit of a chat about it, and he gave me gave me another phone number to contact. So it started started from that. Yeah. Okay. Now I finished up backing myself into a corner where <laughs> sort of made the man an offer, and then he agreed, and, and there I was, jammed in a corner. I'd bought this thing after after um, a bit of a bit of um, sleuthing on the. You know, um, 
got to go out to go and have a look at it for me make, and confirm what that it was the one that I'd seen and yep. write a report for me and photographs and did a bit of checking around. Okay. So yeah, it all came together. Great. Um, and that was um, when did we go up there to get it? I, I took a friend with me. Um, October, that was that was it. It was it was ninety four, October ninety four. Okay. Yep. And um, I'd been to the Oshkosh ninety four thing at the end, end of July. And I remember him saying, "This is the owner that I'd done the deal with." And we got along really well on the phone. It was sort of got good vibes, you know. Yep. Yep. You can, or sometimes you don't. But but in this case, he. Um, he answered all my questions, and um, and we struck up a good rapport on the on the telephone. And so it all came together with uh, got the export survey arranged and all of those sort of things tidied up. And he said, "Well, if you're going to come up and get this thing, he said you want to do it before the first of November because it always snows here on the first of November, and you're going to have to." do it outside, you know. Yeah. So we I had some I had two seats booked on a on a flight to Minneapolis. Oh, which we had to keep rolling over from Friday night to Friday night to Friday night until we actually had had all the paperwork done at the other end. And off we go and got there on a Saturday morning <coughs> and um Yeah, I'm just trying to think of the date. It was about the 24th or the 26th or something of... 26th of, November, of October, was it? No, I might be wrong there. Anyway, we get there and um, we struck beautiful weather. Yep. We had to pull the thing to bits to dead inside the hangar, but the container was dropped outside the hangar, you see. Yep. <coughs> Um, yeah, it was sleeves rolled up. It was beautiful, clear, clear but crisp. And everybody's talking about the snow, snows, Jim. You know, and all the council vehicles running around with snow ploughs attached to the top, to the front of them. And you go into all the hardware shops, and all all you could see was skis and and those tennis rackets that you strapped to your feet. You know, yep. all that sort of thing. But there was no snow, and we. Oh, that's right. That yeah, it had rolled on, and we it was the first week in November. It was the fourth, the fourth of November that we got there. Okay, yeah. And it was e even featured on the news, on the TV news at night time that the snow hadn't arrived this year yet. Right. They were still getting lovely weather, so that they were, they were waiting for it to happen. And we struck this beautiful four days, um, not a cloud in the sky and. So we got the job done. <coughs> we had to have the um, we had to have the container ready to be picked up on the Thursday night by yep. five o'clock, and it had to be down at the railhead by six to get on the train and go right on through to Seattle. And it was getting to be shipped from Seattle, so it was quite a logistical exercise. Well, we had these four beautiful days all week, <coughs> and on the Thursday night, five o'clock 
padlocked the container, the job was done, the truckie turned up, off it goes. <coughs> Absolutely glorious weather. Well, we had a few beers that night, the completion of the job. So the next morning, the Friday morning, I woke up early about six, up about six in the morning or something. Yeah. Thought I'll just have a look out the window. Pulled the curtain back, couldn't look out the window. It was all frozen. <laughs> and and um, once once I got the window opened, it was blowing horizontal. It was freezing sleet at about 50 knots, coming horizontal. Oh, and it was just crap that from then on. So that four-day or five-day window that we had was absolutely perfect and it just changed overnight. Amazing. So they had their snow on the Friday. There was snow everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> so that was that was um, it was almost as though it was meant to happen, you know. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. It would have been a real pain doing what we did if it in those conditions yeah, otherwise. Definitely. Mm. Yeah. So um you obviously took around a few air shows and stuff like that, didn't you? Yeah, I've got it back here and um, there, was, there was a few things that I wanted to, to redo on the aeroplane. So finished up spending three or four years at home and um, cleaned it up a bit more, although it was still it was in pretty good shape. It had, had a new fuselage had been reskinned and had new fabric and all those sort of things. But did a lot of crack testing and anyway I got it going and <coughs> yeah had a lot of enjoyment out of it since. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned that it's for sale and the reason that it's for sale is because of you? Um, the only reason is that I've had some medical glitches and I now don't hold a, hold a license anymore so it's no use to me anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so nature's called, called the shots there. Um, bit of a bitter pill to swallow at the time, but I've got over that. It's no use bucking the system there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I've done my thing with aeroplanes now, and uh, I accept that. So I need to get rid of it. Yeah, just need to go to another home and get some use again. When you say medical glitches, that's a bit of an understatement, really, isn't it? Well, initially, on, on the, uh, after I'd got the thing assembled and got the C of A for it, on the um, on the very on the second flight I did, and that's right, on the second flight I did, in it, um, yeah, I had a heart attack, which sort of spoiled my day a bit, um, and then got myself back to Ardmore. And finished up in hospital and had a had a um, had a quadruple bypass. How high were you when you had the heart attack? Oh, I was about three thousand feet, I suppose, in the training area out here. I was actually going to spin the aeroplane. I was climbing up. I was climbing up to four four and a half thousand feet. I was keen to spin it, see how it how it behaved. Generally. Uh, and it all turned to custard on the way up to that height. Yeah. So I managed to get myself back here and yeah, had a little ride in ambulance. Yeah. 
So then I had to do battle with the department to um, to get my license back. Yep. There's, a, there's an automatic six month stand down time anyway. Uh, and I recovered well, well from that um, from that job. Jumped through all the hoops, and eventually managed to uh, uh, to get a reissue of my of my license. Actually, get a reissue of my commercial license, oh, which right. was something. Mm. Yeah. With a with a couple of restrictions on it, but they weren't important. Yeah. But it was a bit of a battle, but but. Um, so then I carried on <coughs> um, and used the aeroplane after that. And then I, yeah, I had another glitch um, in 09 it was, I guess. Yeah. So that was the end of the movies then. Yeah. Well, so I haven't used it since. Yeah, yeah, yeah and that was in the aeroplane as well. <laughs> A horror story, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I was halfway to Taupo that time. Oh, okay. So, so I had my day spoiled again with that. Yeah. Wow. So you had to fly the rest of the way to Taupo, or did you put down some? Yeah, of those? no, no. I, I um, um, yeah, they're horrible things. Uh, but I, I was able to uh, to um figure things out, I figured what had happened um, and I had enough nows to, to sort of review my my options. Yep. Uh, I, I can recall trying to work through them as concisely as I could because it was quite important to, I felt to try and do the right thing <laughs> yeah. at that time. So I elected to keep going. I figured I was over halfway, and I was going down to a public event. I was going down to display the aeroplane, so I thought they'd have St John's people there. Right. Yep. Um, whereas if I if I diverted into matter matter, nobody there. I'd had to, had to. I had my phone, but I would have to ring an ambulance and wait or whatever. Nobody around if I needed assistance on the ground. Yeah. Um, yeah. Might sound silly, but I could have gone to Hamilton, but I've had to declare an emergency there. Probably wouldn't have had to declare emergency, but I sort of felt that it was a bit of an emergency for me anyway. Um, I didn't know how I'd react with the controlled situation there. Yep, yep, true, yeah. And I, at that stage, I, w I didn't want to tell anybody that this had happened, you see. Yep. If it was a passenger, I'd have yelled blue murder and gone straight to Hamilton. Yes. Yep. But when it's yourself, you're sort of loath to do that. Yeah. And and um, I thought, no. And I didn't want to come back here because the weather wasn't good back here. I'd gone through some cruddy weather to get, to get on the way, so I didn't want to come back this way because I knew some aeroplanes were, were coming out of the place going going to Taupo as well. Yep. So I figured it was best just to keep going. The aeroplane was as happy as hell, it, it was still chugging on. Yep. And if I can just um, just keep going wait for Taupo to come up. I was on track, I knew where I was going. 
Um, so, yeah, I made that call. And Taupo eventually came up and I put on the ground there and, <coughs> and then couldn't get out of the thing, of course. Yeah. And then I was told by the doctor that I'd done everything wrong. Um, his contention was, of course, I should have put myself on the ground straight away. But hey, that's a bit difficult when you're sitting at 3,000 feet over a row of hills, yeah, halfway, right. to, halfway to Taupo, you know, it doesn't <laughs> just happen like that. No. So I was, he didn't, he didn't persuade me at all that I'd made the wrong decision. I felt in my own mind that I'd, I'd made the right call. Yeah. Even though he disagreed totally, um, but I mean, but I made the right call, and I said, "Well, the fact that I'm here, able to talk to you now, and getting and I'm getting appropriate assistance, to me, that's the right decision." Exactly. So, exactly. Yeah. Um, you're yeah, still so here, and the aeroplane's still here, so you made the right decision. Mm? You're still here, and the aeroplane's still yes. here. You're not yes. a smoking hole in the ground. So no, no. Uh, could have well finished up that way. Mm. But I know, all good. Yeah. It must be a bit of a lucky aeroplane, really, if you got it down twice after those sort of yeah. things. Yeah, if you just leave it alone, it, it's as good as gold. It's the <laughs> idiot behind the wheel that's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> have you been involved in any other um, of the Warbirds or old classics? Have you ever had any part in... Oh yeah, I've been been a member of Warbirds for a long time. Um, I haven't played any important role in the place. Um, I've been busy doing other things, but yep. certainly support them as an organisation and um, had a lot of fun, a lot of social social enjoyment with them uh, in the earlier times, and um, and certainly enjoy the activities, of course been involved with uh, displaying the little aeroplane at times and tiger moths over the years um, and assist where I can on the ground now. Yep. So, yeah, okay. no, well, no big deal at all. But what, one thing on the list that stands out here, F-111 crash, what's that about? The F-111 crash? Oh, yes. Um, Years ago, there was there was um, an Australian F-111 went into the Araki Golf out here. Guy, the guys ejected. Yeah. I don't know what the malfunction was, but <clears throat> obviously it all went wrong for them, and they shot themselves over the side. Um, I was actually sewing. Um, sewing Motor Tap Island, which is the island adjacent to. Rangitoto. Yep. On that day, mm, that's that's all it was. It, I just wondered what the all the all the activity was. I was I was happy um, doing doing my own thing, minding my own business, and uh, I think I recall seeing the F one eleven go past. I knew the Aussies were out here with doing their exercises. Yep. And this thing shot past. Um, and then some time later, <coughs> an Iroquois or two 
charged across. So I changed radio frequencies and and listened out onto um, Auckland Info or something. Or did I go to Vanuapai? I just forget now. And then a Hercules went past. I thought, oh, it's all, all happening out here. Then I gathered by some of the conversation that I was gleaning yep. that there had been an emergency. But I didn't know what until I got home that night and heard the news that uh, oh. F-111 had gone into the Gulf and they'd picked the guys up with the Iroquois, I think. Yeah. Oh. Or the Navy had gone out and picked them up. I just I just forget the finer details of it now. Okay, okay. But when you're um, top dressing on the Gulf Islands, did you did they take the super out to the islands and you loaded from there? Well, with the Dakota, we did it all from Ard from Ardmore oh, here. You course, see, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. with the with the deck, we used to do Great Barrier, Mercury Island out to the east eastern side of Coromandel, um, Slipper Island, uh, Motor Tap, Motor Heat, Browns, all of those inner islands. Okay with the Dakota and do it off Ardmore. Right. But then when the um, DACs were withdrawn from service, yes, then we used to, to um, I sighted and, and supervised the building of a, of a strip on Motortap Island and then the, the third would be barged, come down from the third works in Wongaray and be barged into the bay there and offloaded and trucked up, they'd take the trucks over on the barge and truck it up the airstrips. Right. So that's how it all worked. Okay. And I guess that's how it's still working and now. And why heck it was the same here. Yeah. Yeah, so that barge the third in, have to take a barge load of trucks, carriers trucks over here, a loader, would have to go across on the barge. So it was quite a quite an exercise. Must have been quite expensive for the farmers. Yeah, that's why it was great to use a heavy aeroplane. Just all drag it from here, you see. Yeah, mm. yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, when did the DC-3s get withdrawn? When was the last flight? Uh, <clears throat> I finished on it in um, 76, I think. 76. It must have... And it was just withdrawn... Well, may, it may have been withdrawn about that time. 76, 77. Okay. Yeah, um, the one I had was was an XNAC one, and she was in good good condition when we got it. Of course, um, straight from the airline maintenance system. Yep, uh, it was in good good shape. Um, but by the time she'd had all the wear and tear of of really earning its keep in our industry, um, corrosion had started to get into it. And then there was <coughs> the company made the big decision that um, it was due for it. That was in the days of four yearly C of A's. Yep. They had to be renewed every four years, non terminating now. Um, so she was coming up due for its four yearly C of A. Yes, I'd had it about four years, that's right. Um, so they had the, their own engineers have a good look at it. Yes, so it was requiring quite a big expenditure for the time. Yep. Work was dropping off. Um, and a lot of the work that we did with the deck, we could 
now do with the high horsepower fletchers, probably as economical or more economical. So the company made the, made the call that no, they wouldn't spend the money on the C of A, they just withdrew from service. So that was the end of the end of the movies there. And did your aircraft end up getting scrapped then, or? Yes, yes, it it, um, it sat here for for a period of time, and then <coughs> I gather, or I was told, it was used for a prop in a movie making enterprise up in the Pacific Island somewhere. Oh, they right. Were, they wanted a wind blowing machine. Yes, yeah. Up there, and. Um, so it was dissected here, the fuselage was cut off it, the main planes were off it of course, but it was still sitting on its on its undercarriage with the engines and in the cell and the cockpit area. So I gather it was shipped up to one of the islands wherever they were making their movie and it, um, somebody went up to run the engines and blow the trees over or do whatever they had to do with the, with the wind. Yeah, that was for the film The Silent One, I think. I don't know whether that... I don't think it was... Um, oh, OK. Because I know but, parts of a Dakota were taken up for that and they're still oh, up there. Oh, well, you you may well have have, have a better idea yeah. than me, but... Um, I gather that that's... Yeah, what happened to it after that, I'm not, I'm not sure. Right, right. Was that, that one you mentioned, was that the one that was made in the South Island? Um, oh no, that was Yankee Zephyr. That was Yankee Zephyr, yeah. yeah. The, no, no, the, the silent that. one was definitely made up in Samoa, I think. Or was, was it? Somewhere like that. Okay, well I'm yeah. unaware of that. Yeah. Yeah, so. yeah. Oh, very interesting. No, it's, it's been it's been a um, in my case anyway. It's been a, it's been a really neat neat trip over the years, and there's been so much hilarity at times, which helps any job, doesn't it? Yeah. You know. You lose your sense of humour and you might as well be dead, mightn't you? Exactly, so, yeah. There's uh, been a lot of hard case guys in the industry, um, a lot of long time friends, and uh, there is another another comical thing I thought was comical anyway, or another couple. Hey, uh, of course, in the, in the uh, Getting back onto the heavy aeroplane again, there was always a queue of people wanting rides in the thing. Yep. You know, whenever you we operated off the main aerodromes throughout the country, you know, so you'd always get people hanging around wanting jobs and uh, rides, and you could generally tell the, the genuine ones and the ones that just wanted to be able to say that they've had a ride, you know. Yep. <clears throat> so time just showed a bit of favouritism one way or another. Anyway, there was one one incident up north. <coughs> I got pestered by a bloke whom I'd never known before, that I'd never met before, and um, he wanted to come for a ride. Yeah. Okay, so I I said, yeah, that's that's all right. Welcome aboard. So he sat in the right hand seat and. And off we go. <coughs> well, he's just an incessant talker. And I am, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
He'd, he'd done everything he'd done, it'd been better than anybody else could do it. And he'd done more than anybody else could do. Yeah. Oh, after a short while of this, I was getting fed up with listening to him. And I thought, how the hell am I going to quieten this guy, you know? So um, I got his attention, drew his attention to something on the horizon. I don't know what it was, but I got him looking anyway, out to the right a little bit in a way, got, got him focused on some point, and while he was focused on that, I shut down the starboard engine, yeah. stopped it, levers back, popped the feather butt, and he was, he was totally absorbed in whatever he was looking at, and then all of a sudden I nudged him on the shoulder and said, oh, we've got a problem. Look out your right hand in. Look out your right hand window. Yeah. Because he looks out the right hand side and just looks straight at this big stationary <laughs> propeller blade. <laughs> well, he stopped talking. <laughs> he broke out in a sweat and he turned the colour of that page there. <laughs> Didn't say another word. It worked. It worked better than I ever thought it would. So I quickly restarted the engine before it cooled down. Too much. Restarted it and we carried on to where we were going. <coughs> he got out the end, didn't even thank me for a good trip. So <laughs> never seen him since. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> didn't get another word out of it. So it worked better than I ever hoped. Did you ever have any trouble with wires? Low wires or? Yeah. Went through a couple over the years. Okay. Anything um, bad or? Um, yeah, first years, years ago, <coughs> once again, early, very early 60s, um, in a session of 185. Yeah, wires are a big problem to the guys in the industry, they really are. Um, very difficult things to see in certain certain conditions, certain light conditions, you know. Yeah. Um, sometimes you can get reflection off them if there's a bit of sun, sometimes on a dull day like today. Yeah. Very hard to see. <clears throat> so the big thing to do is to uh, is to judge your height from wires, if you're in the proximity of wires, from the poles or pylons or whatever. Keep above them, you've got to be above the wires. Yep. But of course, some of the big valleys that they span, you get these big, big spans, a lot of sag in the wires. Yep. So, become we all become very, very conscious of wires, just mulling around the back of your head all the time, you know, wires, wires, wires. And this, <laughs> this particular day, I'd been working in close proximity to this particular line, it was a main, main feeder line up the back of Manawatu towards Hunterville Way. And <clears throat> there was a big span across the valley, three three wires. They were on, on railway iron poles on ridges and then there was uh, the two ridges on each side of the valley that I was working in, railway iron poles up on, up on each ridge with this big span across <coughs> of the three wires. 
one on the end of the pole and then the cross cross tree with one insulator on each end of the cross tree. Yep. And I'd been working over these things all morning, <clears throat> really conscious of them, totally aware. And then this particular trip that I hit them, forgot about. Sounds silly, eh? But it's, it's how it happens. Preoccupied or something. Um, I don't know what what the uh, preoccupation was, but anyway, this particular run, as I say, I'd been going over these things all morning, and then this, I think we'd stopped. It was just after a refuel break or something, so it broke the continuity, yeah. you know. Yeah. Refuel, cup of tea, back into it again. And I recall just all of a sudden it was this great wire right in front of the windscreen. Yeah, just flew straight in. So the <clears throat> I pulled up as I saw the immediate reaction, and they slid underneath. They touched an arc, of course. So there was a big blue flash, and all burned all the paint off the front of the aeroplane. Wow. Or not all of the paint, but it was a big, yeah. big um, burn mark, soot mark on the on the front of the aeroplane. Yeah. Uh, and two, or I don't know whether, or I forget whether the prop got one or two wires, but at least one slid under the cowling and across the undercarriage legs, the the two undercarriage legs coming down at the bottom of the Cessna one eight five. I think two went through the prop and the other one across the undercarriage leg and of course that arrested the aeroplane totally. I was going at a reasonable clip, although it was a sort of, yeah, it was a semi-climb situation, so I was probably 120, 130 mile an hour, still with a big chunk of the load on board. Yeah. And it pitched the aeroplane vertically upwards, arrested the Against, against the undercarriage legs, the aeroplane pitched violently upwards <clears throat> until it stalled, and uh, in that sort of zoom effect, must have stretched the cable a long way, and then fortunately for me, the wires broke, or the, the wire that was left broke, yep. and then the aeroplane pitched over the top, and down I went down vertically until I was able to sort myself out and recover in the next ridge, next valley over from the airstrip. <clears throat> all the people on the airstrip thought it was all history. <laughs> when I'd gone out of sight, the thing was still going vertical, you see. Yeah. And then I was able to come out and then reappeared out the end of the valley, trailing a great length of wire behind the aeroplane. Right. Landed and a um, neat neat old farmer, I forget his name, most concerned. They, they, he had a totally shattered look on his face because, you know, I'd, I'd gone out of sight going vertically, then reappeared sometime later around the end of the valley. Yep. And he came up, opened the, opened the door, and he all right, you all right? Yeah, I'm okay. So I got out of the thing and climbed up on top of the aeroplane and, well, went round to the front and um, there was some damage to the propeller, some, some 
scratch marks on the prop, a big scored area on the front of the cowling, and a great length of wire wrapped around the crankshaft just behind the prop yep. base, and up across the windscreen, and it generally wrapped itself around the, around the fuselage and hung out the back. So we untangled all of this, and there was quite a few metres of it, 30 or 40 metres of wire, and it was a um, it was a steel, if I remember right, a steel cord with an aluminium or wound aluminium um, strands on strands, if that's what you call it, um, conductors around the steel cord. Yeah. I think, if I remember rightly, that had a diameter of something like half an inch or whatever. So very, very strong yeah. cable. So I curled it all up and gave it to the farmer. I said, "You might might use this for a tow rope." The next, uh, yeah, the next day, the power board guys were having a yarn to me. I went back the next day and finished the job. Yep. And I, <coughs> once again, it's going back in time, but I remember this guy saying they were very surprised that the wire broke because it had something like a, a breaking strain of something like forty ton, very very strong wire. Wow. So that was a sort of impact that it had on the thing. And they were quite surprised that the wire broke, but but thinking afterwards that they probably arced and sort of burnt themselves through as yeah. much as anything. But it was the steel core, I think, that was the strong part. And the two, as a point of interest, I went, I flew around the um, around the poles, and it had bent the two railway iron poles. Wow! It had put, and and the power board guys told me this; they'd never seen that before. That's incredible. Yeah, so it would have just pulled off the. Off the um, insulators, wouldn't you? Yeah. They, they weren't they weren't burnt much, but the, you could see from going past in the airplane, you could see the bend on the poles. Mm. It goes to show the strength of your aircraft. Then, mm. if if you can bend the railway and, and well, I, that, I, I, the I suppose it was. A, I, I I can't explain that whether yeah. it was a just the length of the wire or, or whatever, yeah. um, but they touched and fused anyway. So it all happened pretty quickly. So in that instant of time, it must have just given them a tweak at the top somehow. You're very lucky then, by the sound of things. Yeah, that was um, yeah something you could do without. But yeah. <laughs> um, so I was even more conscious of wires after that. Yeah. Yeah. But I think most of the guys in the trade have had a skirmish with a wire at some stage. Um, if not hitting one, come very close to them, you know, at times. Yeah. And that's the old mindset thing, you know, totally aware of the things there, um, working over them all morning, and then just at one one instant. Yeah. There was another guy I knew, um, I don't know how many sets of wires he went through. Uh, fortunately for him, they were all power, um, telephone wires, just copper wires, you know. Yeah. And he had little, little signs all over the in, all over his instrument panel. Wires, 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 <laughs> and he still flew through wires. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the uh, your mind can play tricks on you at times, but you do become very cautious with with. Um, they were just one of the one of the challenges, and amongst all the other challenges of trying to dodge things, and when you're operating low to the ground. Yeah. 
and in in the New Zealand type terrain, you know. Um, pretty interesting little country we've got here, isn't it? You know, geographically speaking, and yeah, definitely. Um, and with the wind conditions, um, a lot of turbulence, so can be quite challenging at times. What about birds too? Do you get the yeah, trouble with them? Yeah, yeah, hook the odd bird or two. I don't know whether many have have done that. The birds have got a great evasive um, system. You know they're pretty pretty switched on creatures. Yeah. You know. They can see a big bully coming up behind them. And they're going to get out of the road pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah. True. Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah. Well, it sounds like you've had an amazing career, and um, thank you very much for sitting down and, and talking yeah, about it. Well, it's uh, the old memory memory. Um, starts to let you down a little bit with a lot of things but it's surprising what what can jog your memory at times a photograph a photograph or just a question or two like you've hit me with yep. um, can activate things and some of these things come back quite vividly yeah definitely yeah. definitely but just to just to try and think of off pat you know um, whole bunch of things now quite often the mind just closes up and you can't think of anything but it yeah. just needs to be activated doesn't it yeah exactly exactly no we have done very well here today so thank yeah. you very much you're awesome. welcome that was the wings over new zealand show with dave Hopwood.